You are listening to Cosmos, written by Jeff Carrera, read by the author. Chapter 7 After breakfast, I asked Destiny if she had any more clothes stashed anywhere that she could get. She said she had some in a trash bag that she had left under a subway bridge in Kensington. She implied that there really wasn't anything worth saving in the bag, so I gave her a couple hundred dollars and suggested she might go get something. You might wonder why I would give $200 to a more or less complete stranger. I wondered that myself, but honestly, by that first morning, Destiny didn't feel like a stranger anymore. Sure, she might take my money and never come back, but to be honest, that would have been a lot easier for me, and I knew it. She took the money out of my hand, gave me a hug of gratitude, and walked out the door. After a few hours, I was just sitting in my living room, half thinking about everything and half just sitting. That's when the phone rang. Brian? A familiar voice said on the other end. Yes. Innocence? Is that you? I was stunned to hear her voice again after all this time. Yeah, it's me. Oh my God. It's been three years. Why did you wait so long to call? I'll have to explain it all later. Right now, I need to know something. What? Did you find Destiny? Is she with you? Yes, I met her in the park yesterday. She stayed here with me last night. Is she there with you now? No, she went out to pick up a few things. I heard Innocent say, Shit, under her breath. Then she added, That's not good, Brian. you got to go out right now and find her. Why? Right now, Brian, you understand me? She's in danger. You need to find her. No, I don't understand anything. As always, you seem to know what's going on, and I don't know anything. I'm sorry, Brian. If we had more time, I would explain it. But we don't. Please go find her and call me when you do. She hung up. I immediately dialed back, but evidently she had turned off her phone. Damn it. She hadn't been in touch for three years, and this is all she says. I was a full two and a half blocks away from my house when I finally became fully cognizant of what I was doing. I'd been busy inside my own head having an argument with innocence when it finally hit me. I noticed the brick sidewalk under my feet, and in a moment of recognition, I realized that I was walking to find destiny, and I had no idea where to look. It was so typical of things around innocence. I complain about whatever she asks of me, and yet I find myself doing it anyway. It is as if I am compelled to respond to her beyond all rationality. I had first met innocence in my dreams. In fact, she was a reoccurring part of my dreams, almost nightly, for years. I can't explain the connection I felt. I knew this woman. She was the most physically and spiritually beautiful woman I could possibly imagine. I felt in the deepest part of my being that I would not be fulfilled until I met her, and if I wanted to be with her, I would need to go into my dreams and find her. That was the start of my spiritual journey. I spent the next few years perfecting my capacity to wake up in my dreams. Lucid dreaming is the art of staying consciously aware in your dreams, and I got to a point where I could consistently wake up in my dreams every night. When you wake up in a dream, you know it's a dream, 
You know you're dreaming, but you're still in the dream. I spent a few years hunting for innocence in my dreams. I got closer and closer. I found her many times in many different dreams. Every time I would have the same dream more than once, I could follow further and get closer to meeting her. Finally, I was able to speak with her. Soon after that, Cosmo showed up in my life, and eventually, innocence entered my waking life too. She was central to all of the events that happened that led to the formation of our group, the small group that disbanded and hasn't been together since. We all believed that we had been brought together to save the soul of the modern world. Innocence was going to call us together again when the time was right, but that was a long time ago. Was innocence calling me now an indication that the time was right? Was the appearance of destiny the signal we'd been waiting for? Dr. Free's first spiritual teacher, Harry Harrelson, was part of the original group, and he had created the first version of the Eternity app. The rest of us had managed to convince him to stop production of the app because we saw how it was leading people astray and distorting the way spiritual pursuit was perceived in the world. I don't know what happened after we split up, but it seems that Dr. Free somehow got his hands on the app and created a 2.0 version. Fast forward, and here I am walking blindly down the street in search of a woman I don't really know for reasons I don't understand. Where was I even going to look? She had gone out after clothes, but there were hundreds of clothes stores in Philadelphia. And she could be at any one of them. The closest doors to my place were on South Street, but I was heading for Washington Park, where I had first met Destiny the day before. I suppose, unconsciously, I had realized that the park was as good a place as any to start the search. When I got to the park, I sat on the same bench where I had been sitting when Destiny had wandered up to me the day before. I looked around and didn't see her anywhere. I carefully examined each person I could see and consciously made sure that it wasn't her. After a few minutes, I was certain that she wasn't in the park. I didn't get up right away. I just sat there and tried to figure this all out. I always knew that when and if innocence came back into my life, it would flip everything upside down all over again. That's what was happening now. I had been waiting for three years, hoping every day would be the day that she came back. And now that she was back... I was already sorry she'd come. It's funny. I remembered all the bizarre things that happened around her as if it were yesterday, but somehow I had forgotten the most important part. I had forgotten the sense I had around her of being dislodged from my life. I forgot how it felt to encounter a woman who lived in a world that existed outside of any logic that I understood. I had forgotten what it felt like to float away into the incomprehensible. So many of us long for radical experiences. But when we have one, we quickly want to go back to where we came from. Faced with the terror of freedom, we cling to the chains of our bondage. Whatever was about to happen had barely begun, and already I had a huge knot of apprehension in my stomach. If I had known how to find my way back, I might have been running for the door. In some ways, my first encounter was easier, because when I'd met those strange ladies dragging the same suitcase around... I hadn't experienced any dislocation from reality before. I didn't know what was coming. And I didn't really feel it until it was too late. I just kept following along one step after another as they appeared in front of me with wide-eyed curiosity and no fear. This time was different. I knew, or at least had a sense of what was coming. It would be strange. It would challenge 
all of my assumptions about who I was. It would make me lose interest in all the things that I hold dear, and it would compel me to give all my attention to something I couldn't even begin to understand. I was a meditation teacher and a spiritual guide. I supported thousands of people through the darkness of spiritual growth, but nothing I knew would help me through this. You might wonder why I hadn't just blocked Innocent's number in my phone and forgotten about the whole thing. It's because I couldn't. Most practically, it wouldn't matter anyway. If I blocked her phone number, she would just find me in my dreams or talk to me through a bird in the park. Innocence could get to me if she wanted to, and nothing short of death could stop her. Come to think of it, I'm not sure death could stop her. I don't know why she even bothers with the phone. She probably thinks it will freak me out less. It doesn't. The second reason I didn't just walk away from all of this is because I didn't want to. I was terrified of what would happen next, but I still wanted to experience it. It's like touching your finger to a wound or rubbing your tongue on a sore in your mouth. You know it'll hurt, but you can't help yourself. But it's more than morbid curiosity. It's a powerful spiritual intrigue that overpowers everything else. I know that innocence holds the key to everything. She knows something about the secrets of existence that I want to learn. No matter how difficult a path she leads me on, I will follow. There is something crazy about this, and at the same time, something beautiful and radically sane. In a world as crazy as ours, the most reasonable course of action often looks insane. I knew from the first time I saw her in my dreams that she held the key that would unlock the mystery of being. And look, Cosmos appeared to me after meeting her, so I have very compelling evidence to continue on the path. All that I just described can be summed up most simply as, I love her. That's why I won't stop following her. I love her like I have never loved anyone, in a way that I never even knew was possible before meeting her. It's a connection from the deepest part of this universe to itself. It is an existential love in which I play a part, but ultimately it isn't about me. I see the universal truth in innocence's eyes, and I am compelled beyond reason to give myself to that. If I have the chance to be with her, to be by her side, I will take it, every time. Kicking and screaming, perhaps, but still going. She could say she was going to burn in hell and ask me if I wanted to come along, and I would go. I would say no, but I would go. Freedom, trust, and surrender were the other woman I'd met the last time innocence came into my life. They explained that they had been named after spiritual qualities, in many ways, they seemed to be just people, but at the same time, there was something about them that made them feel alien to this world. They never explained themselves in ways that I could understand, but Innocence had promised that when we reunited, everything would be clear. When I met Destiny, I had to assume that she was another one of these special beings, although she hadn't given me any indication that she knew she was. But these women were never completely truthful anyway. They seemed sincere but they always spoke in words that didn't completely make sense. As I continued to sit there on the bench, I slowly stopped thinking about everything that had happened and everything I was afraid was about to happen, and I just sat. Then I smiled, a big, broad smile. I was going to see innocence again. I was finally going to see her. Underneath all the fear and resentment, I was thrilled. She'd come back. I had all but given up on seeing her again, but she was back and I was ecstatic about it.
Whatever adventure or mishap was about to occur was meaningless compared with the fact that she was back. As I sat contemplating my connection with innocence, I happened to lift my head and look out dreamily across the park. There she was. Suddenly I snapped back to the present moment with all of the sharpness of an animal on the hunt. Destiny was sitting on a bench under a tree. I must have missed her before. Or maybe she had arrived while I was lost in thought. Either way, she was there now. I got up and started walking toward her, but I was careful not to cross her line of sight. I didn't want her to run away. As I got closer to her, I realized there was no need for me to worry about her running or even noticing me. She was sitting on the bench, staring into her phone screen. She must have used the money I gave her to buy more gaze time in the Eternity app. That's why Innocence had said something about sending her away with money being a bad idea. I felt stupid for having given her the money. She was addicted to the app. Of course she would use the money that came to her to buy more time on it. When I reached her, I simply sat on the bench next to her. As I had assumed, she didn't notice my presence at all. I didn't relish whatever conversation awaited me, so I didn't do anything to get her attention. I decided to wait until she looked away from the screen or until I had the courage to start talking to her. Finally, she looked over at me. She didn't say anything. She didn't even look surprised. What are you doing? You spent the money on gaze time? I said with as much disgust as I could muster. Not all of it, I swear. Look. She picked up a bag from the other side of the bench. It was obviously full of clothes. I went to a second-hand shop and bought everything I need, and it only cost me a hundred bucks. I used the other hundred for gaze time. That's not the point. The money was for clothes, not gazing. That thing ruined your life. You gotta get off it. I know, she said, looking down toward the ground shamefully. Oh, look, I understand it's an addiction. I don't want to make you feel bad, but I want to help you find a way to connect with eternity, the real eternity. She looked up and smiled. I'm sorry. It's okay. Let's just work together on this from now on. She nodded. How much gaze time did you buy anyway? Two hours. Two hours for a hundred bucks? That's crazy. I had to rent the phone too. The app is locked on mine. Whose phone is it? Destiny suddenly looked up over my shoulder. Hers. I turned to look behind me, and for a few minutes I was simply too shocked to say anything.